welcome back to the Adam B and Adam G NBA pod. It's been a, it's been a hot minute since we've podcasted. Hey, Adam G. It has, Adam B. Uh, very interesting in terms of playoff uh, contention and playoff standings. That's certainly heated up at the moment or the last uh, week or two. Uh, but it should lead to a very, very good finish for the last quarter of the season. Yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a sexy couple of weeks and we're finally at that stage of the season where you can you can start to see how fun it's going to be. It's pre-playoff time and like the jostling for the tank race has begun, the jostling for the last few spots in each conference has well and truly begun. Um, superstars are kind of like making their moves and we'll talk about some of those guys. Um, but... Why don't we start off in the West, Adam G? Because I think that is the fucking... This is this is the meat. This is an intense playoff race. There's uh, eight teams going for six spots, really. And we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing the Trailblazers in third. Um, and we're seeing the Spurs taking a bit of a tumble. How are you seeing things? Well, I'm saying that it really is broken up into two tiers, and we obviously know the Rockets and Warriors are fighting for the number one seed. And on the back of a 16 win, uh, 16 game win streak from the Rockets, do you know that they're still only after winning 16 in a row? They're still only a half game ahead of the Warriors. Yeah, they're half a game ahead in the loss column. I mean, that's insane that you have to keep up that kind of win pace to yeah. barely pick I mean, I mean, out number one spot. Yeah, look, they're my favourites, and as we spoke about on one of our very first pods of the season, that teams who have a 16-game win streak are more than 50% likely to win the title, not just make the finals. Mm. So we've got Boston and we've had the Rockets now both go on a 16-game win streak, and for me, it's one of them to choose to win the title. It's definitely the Rockets, uh, but... For all they're good, the Warriors are keeping pace, and we know that in the West they are the two contenders. And then we get down to the messy bit, which I cannot remember a season, especially in the last three or four years, where we've had such a mess between third and tenth. Yeah, that that really is a huge mess. So between third and tenth, there is a four, yeah, there's a four game difference, and. If the Trailblazers lose one game, they could drop. They could potentially drop to like seventh yeah. in in a, in a single game. I want to pull you back for a second here because I want to I want to get your mood on something. Am I crazy to think that there's every chance that Houston will not hold up in the playoffs? No, because we always have the possibility of injuries. Not talking about injuries. I don't like. I still not sure. I rate a healthy Houston purely because year after year we've seen James Harden's numbers take a dip in the playoffs. Uh, a lot of people, including me, think that's because refs tend to call games a lot tighter, and his game is pretty predicated on the threat of him going to the line and hitting free throws at a high clip. He's averaging what 10, 10 plus free throws a game. I, I still, yeah, I, I don't have the confidence um, in this team that others do, and I don't see them as, um, you know, one B to Golden State's one A in the West. 
No, and we do have an issue with James Harden in the playoffs. Uh, so far for his career, he is averaging seven and a half free throws a game in his career in the playoffs, which is obviously down from his regular season totals and regular season averages. Mm. Um, and we've seen that not necessarily happen in the first round of the playoffs or not necessarily happen against a seventh or eighth or a poorly placed or a, a bad team really just made the playoffs. But as soon as he comes up against a well-coached, good defensive team, teams have managed to, and we even saw it with the Celtics when they played the Rockets, they kept the Rockets off the foul, off the foul line. And they did a really good job of it that when there was any penetration by Harden into the paint and it was a one-on-one that they would either use the verticality rule and go straight up or actually just let Harden finish the layup. Yeah. And, and Brad, Sky, Stevens, Brad Stevens did point that out before the game. He's like, we don't want to give up easy dunks, easy layups, and we want to keep them off the line. And that was more or less the game plan. And they did pretty well. Like, I think most people will agree that um, whether it was the Houston defense turning up in the last couple of minutes or the Celtics got a bit young and sloppy, it was a couple of turnovers that decided that game ultimately. And, um, you know... But we saw the game plan. And, and we know that the Warriors, we know that the Spurs, we know that everyone else is going to do that to them. I'm not sure how much faith I have in some of the other teams. But if I'm looking at Warriors, Spurs, the Wolves... Um, I think they're absolutely capable of keeping the Rockets off the foul line and forcing them into a make-or-miss game. Yeah, and that, that's when things will get interesting because I don't know about you, but every year, um, you know, we watch 82-odd regular season games and then the playoffs starts and the style of basketball changes overnight, like full stop. Defense is different. The flow is different. The number of possessions is different. The score at the end is different. And it's so easy to forget just how intense um, and different a base playoff basketball is, but it is. And it's kind of foolish to take too much out of the regular season into the playoffs because, um, you know, we did it last year with Cleveland, Adam G. They looked yeah, like did. ass. They finished the, se- the regular season in a limp and then they, what, clocked off 15 straight wins. Yeah. And it's hard not to. It's hard not to get caught up in the regular season because – if we really weren't interested or we really didn't care, we actually wouldn't watch or wouldn't say anything or wouldn't talk about the NBA until April. Correct. And then we'd, and then we'd say, okay, well, now the season starts. But it's enjoyable to get involved in the season, enjoyable to ride the ups and downs and the highs and lows. Um, and at the moment, I'm still on the Rockets and I will be at the start of the season, barring any horrible injury to finish the season, that – they still are my favourite over the Warriors and over any Eastern team. Um, but I guess the biggest issue with the West is, yeah, that those six spots with those eight teams and really only two of them are playing well at the moment. So let's break this down quickly. You've done a great job pulling this together. The eight teams that are competing for six spots, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Spurs, the T-Wolves, the Thunder, the Nuggets, the Clippers and the Jazz. Two of those teams have to miss out. As you said, like most of them haven't been making a very good case for themselves. And, um, you know, there's a whole lot of losing streaks there, um, aside from the Pelicans and the Blazers who are just um, going balls to the wall. Who do you think misses out uh, out of those eight teams? Two need to miss out. Who will it be? 
the teams that I'm worried about are the Wolves and the Jazz and the Clippers and the Nuggets. And they're the four that I would say, I guess the other four I'm more confident in making the playoffs. I'm very confident in the Thunder Spurs, Pelicans and Blazers making it. The reason why I'm worried about the Wolves is obviously injury to their best offensive and defensive player. Losing Jimmy Butler is something they can't just replace. Andrew Wiggins hasn't been good enough and Towns, I'm not sure he's dominant enough to carry that load for the end, for, to end the season. They are also pretty much 500 since January. They're one game over 500 since the beginning of January, so in 2018. So they haven't been going well for two and a half months now. Mm. Um, yeah, they're winning at like a 500 pace at best, and that's that's if you like kind of cut the numbers generously, which probably wouldn't be enough down the stretch. But uh, you know, no, I'm worried about that. I mean, even the even the Nuggets who've had a couple of slides, they went seven and three in February, and showed for January. Well, yeah, look, January and March they've gone 500, but in February they went seven and three. So, at the very least, with their offense, they have a chance to just go on a run of four or five wins in a row and make the playoffs. Hmm. Uh, however, I do think the Clippers are out. I don't think they're making it. They, I watched them just recently. Um, who were they playing in their most recent game? The Jazz. The Jazz. Yeah, they were yeah. playing the Jazz. And I also watched them against the Pelicans, and I know they came back into that game with a huge fourth quarter to make that game interesting, but... They are absolutely terrible. They're really, really bad. Yeah. And I don't know how they've managed to – I don't know if they have an easy schedule or whatever, but they are, they are really a really bad team with no quality anywhere. And they're going to be one of the teams that misses out. And then I think it's really between Denver. the Wolves, Nuggets, and Wolves. Yeah, I think it'll be Denver or the Clippers that miss out. Um I think Doc has done a surprisingly good job after losing, after trading away Blake. The new pieces fit kind of nicely. But I think it comes down to, for me, whether or not the Nuggets can can show some maturity, can lock down teams for five minutes at a time, can finish off games, can hold big leads. If they can keep their, their head, their wits about them down the stretch... They have a chance, not if they keep losing to teams like Dallas, but I think they should be the team that makes it. Um, and I think the Clippers and the Jazz are going to miss out, barring some sort of like insanely continued slide from the Spurs or the Wolves. And the Spurs, on the verge of missing a 50-win season for the first time, Adam G, in 19 years. It's a long time. 18 uh, games left. They need to win 15 uh, sorry, 13 to get to 15. Yeah, and they're, they're three and eight in their last 11. They've been and this, Yeah, and this goes the opposite to the Jazz, who despite the fact that they've the, got the lowest chance to make it, they're actually 12 and two in their last 14 games. So the, the Jazz are on a 12 and two pace since February, and since the same time, the Spurs are on a three and eight pace. And I don't know. What are they on, 37 and 27 at the moment? Can they win 13 more games? What's their schedule to end the season? 13 and 15 is that, yes. So, so to end the season, they have they get, they have to play at Golden State, at OKC, and at Houston, all in one stretch. 
Then they get a five-game homestand. But those five games there, they play the Pelicans, the Wolves, the Warriors, the Wizards, and the Jazz. And then they have to go away again, play the Wolves again. Sorry, play the Bucks and Giannis. Play the Wizards all the way on the East Coast. They get to go home again and play the Thunder and the Rockets. Fuck me. And after a little away trip to Los Angeles where they get to play the Clippers and Lakers, which is no guaranteed win these days, by the way. In their last three games, they have one guaranteed win against the Kings, and they still have to play the Blazers and the Pelicans in the last three weeks, last three games. You put it nicely. They have the toughest remaining schedule in the NBA, and they're trending badly. I think Aldridge has got a niggling little injury as well. Kawhi allegedly is going to come back. I mean, what do you... How do you fix this? I just don't know why. I don't know. I just don't know how. I don't think they can fix it. And with 14 games up against good quality playoff teams, not Mm. poor playoff teams, with 14 games left against good quality playoff teams, what? So if they go seven and seven in those games, they're still only on 44 wins. How do they make the playoffs? They're in trouble, and uh, it's been funky it there for a while. And there's weird dissent amongst the player ranks. There's a weird beef with Kawhi. Um, I'm concerned about them, and that could be the big story out of the West. Um, and I don't know what you'd do with that team if, say, Kawhi doesn't come back or they don't solve that problem if they miss the playoffs or get an early exit. Because, you know, if they slide a little bit more, they're going to be playing Golden State or Houston in the first round. Yeah, exactly. So their only hope really is for other teams to beat up on each other and for the other seven teams in the West that are fighting for those playoff spots to all beat each other to the point where most of the teams finish 500 to end the season. Yes. Um, their other hope is that the Pelicans and Blazers go so far ahead that they lock up the third and fourth spots and the Spurs somehow fill in a spot between five and eight. Um I think using the word concern is too much for them. I'm not really going to be concerned by a team who has made the playoffs every year since I've pretty much known what basketball is. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, when was the last time? The last time they didn't make the playoffs was in the 90s. Yes, it's been a very, very long time. But it was two decades ago. Can you remember even being even being mildly concerned about the Spurs? Injuries aside, like, I can't. No, I remember being concerned about the Spurs in the mid to late 2000s when people thought they were done then and they, everyone thought Duncan was done then and when everyone kept doing the, oh, the Spurs can't keep going on this and then they, then they did it for another 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Me, like, it takes everyone, but it took me a couple of years to realise, oh, yeah, just trust the Spurs because Pop and Duncan and the rest – but I'm not concerned with them going forward. I'm just concerned, I guess, with them, with you, with this season. Are you confused by what um, the Lakers are doing? Because they kind of keep winning or winning at a yeah, decent well, pace. Can we, can we create our own tier? So obviously we've talked about the playoff teams. We've mentioned a couple of contenders in the West. The Lakers and when we get to them, the Hornets, they are in the what the fuck are you doing tier. Because really, there's only there's no way to explain what both those teams are doing other than what the fuck are you doing? It's it's quite confusing. Um, I really like watching the Lakers. I've said this before, but um, 
they're fun to watch and they kind of keep winning and they're in this weird purgatory at the moment um, of neither being great and competing for a playoff spot nor being bad enough to um, do anything meaningful with their pick. Although their pick is going to Philadelphia. So maybe that's their thinking. Maybe their thinking is we've got to put time into Brandon Ingram and co. We've got to see if we want to re-sign Isaiah. We haven't got a, a, a pick to play for, so why don't we just make a little a little run at the end of the season here? So is this not the pick that's going to you guys? So my under- and by you guys meaning the Celtics, obviously. So that pick that pick is going to Philly unless it falls between two and five, in which case it goes to the Celtics. Okay. All right. So at the moment. So at the moment, it is going back to the Sixers. Yes. So, And so here we go. So, yeah, if the Lakers' 2018 first-round pick is number one or is number six or later, the Sixers will instead convey to the Celtics the rights to a more favourable of the Sixers' 2019 first-round pick. Okay. So instead, basically the Celtics get a 2019 first-round pick, either from the Sixers or the Kings, if the Lakers pick uh, fits between two and five. Yes, so the Celtics... outside of... Yeah, yeah. if if it falls between two and five, it'll go to the Celtics. Yes. Which is just very confusing math. But that's what Danny Ainge does. I mean, while we're talking about the pick, he confuses to the point that somehow... The GM of the other team gets so confused that he thinks he's won, but actually the pick's going to Danny Ainge and the Celtics. So even here, even when the Celtics don't get it this year, they get it next year. Danny always, uh, Danny always finds a way to fuck you. So that's what the Lakers are doing. Should we, should we flip over to the, the playoff race in, in the East? Um, not quite as sexy, is it? It's not quite as sexy, but the best bit about that is there's going to be one loser in the East. Yeah. Six teams, five spots. We know the Cavs, Celtics, and Raptors are our East contenders. So really at the moment we have five contenders in the NBA being Rockets, Warriors, Cavs, Celtics, and Raptors. And I think the interesting part about the East is, yeah, there's going to be one team that misses out. It's and going to be Detroit. And there's a possibility that that will cause their coach to be fired as well. Yeah, if Blake Griffin keeps playing the way he's playing and they miss the playoffs, I can't see him keeping his job. As much as I love the Van Gundy bros, um, I don't know, Miami Miami don't look like they're going to take enough of a slide. They're four and a half games ahead of Detroit uh, for that eight spot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count them out, though. They're five and nine in their last 14. Yeah, but 500 of their last 10. Good, yeah, I know, but they've not had a good last couple of months. No, but that's a that's a lot of games to make up in in what is like what eighteen games left. Um, that would require Detroit to really put things together, um, and I'm not sure they can. They've only won two of their last ten games. So as we speak, yeah, the Pistons have gone zero and three this month. So we've been eight days and they've gone zero and three, and they're in good company with the Grizzlies, the Suns, and the Knicks and the Nets going zero and three yeah. as well. For me, for me, Adam G, this Eastern race is, is so the most interesting thing that's going to happen is whether or not teams start to jostle and game the system to try and get an ideal first round opponent. So Cleveland's only a, a half a game ahead of the Pacers and one game ahead of the Wizards for third. 
two games ahead of the 76ers for third. All of a sudden, the Cavs could miss out on home court for like a whole bunch of the Eastern playoffs. Does it really matter to LeBron? Well, how do you think LeBron will feel with a first-round matchup against the 76ers and Joel Embiid? Like, uh, that could be tiring. Yeah, but also, how will LeBron feel about not having to face the Celtics in the second round? Yeah, pretty good, but wouldn't they have to face the Raptors? Yeah, but I think LeBron has a little bit more respect and fear. I mean, not fear. He's not going to fear anyone, but a little bit more respect for the Celtics and Brad Stevens. Yeah. Rather than, look, I mean, what Dwayne Casey has done, we obviously know has been really, really good. And he's had bench units perform to the point where they've won games for them. But we also know, as you talked about, the playoff is a different atmosphere. Uh, role players tend to perform poorly away from their own crowd. Uh, the pace changes in terms of the intensity goes up, but the pace slows down. Yes. There are a lot of things, and, and a lot of things come down to experience and instinctual decisions and getting them correct. Yes, and to me, to me, can't really fix that straight away within one timeout. No, and to me, the Raptors are like rockets east. They've got everything left to prove in the playoffs because they have not performed in the playoffs. And I'm looking at you, Booty Lowry, specifically. It's We've seen how many great Eastern Conference regular season teams have we seen fall short in the playoffs, Adam G? We all remember that Atlanta team from, what, three or four years ago? Gorgeous yeah. regular season team. Made no noise. Nice. Yeah, that was the Horford, Millsap, Corver. Yes. Uh, Teague was in that team as well. That That core that with Budenholzer, I think, went, what, 61 or 64 wins? Yes, they won, um, you know, player of the month was their entire starting five. <laughs> I remember one month. Yeah. That was really <laughs> fun. But it's not a playoff team. And so the Raptors, I think, have more to prove in this playoffs than any other Eastern Conference team. Like, I think almost as much to prove as LeBron. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. I don't rate them. Like, I'm not scared of the Toronto Raptors as a Celtics fan. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And like I said, it'll be interesting to see if any of these teams try and game the system to land an ideal first-round opponent, considering that there's, um, let's see, there's four games separating three from eight. Yeah, see, so look, I think the Heat will finish in eighth. I think, despite not being locked in there, I do think they're going to finish in eighth. Uh I guess the issue we have then is between Cleveland and the Bucks in third and seventh. And there are still four games separating third through seventh there. I don't think the Bucks can catch anyone else. I mm. think despite what Giannis has been doing and Eric Bledsoe has been playing okay and the rest of their players have been filling in, I don't think they can push any higher than that. They might catch so the Sixers. Like the Sixers could, could kind of go through a little stretch of – um, uh, you know, inconsistency. But, yeah, you're right. I think the five teams that are one through five right now will stay that way, although that would yeah, be that, relying that on Washington not to fucking suck. Yeah, and I do think that the Wizards might have a loss or two when war comes back just because everyone's pissed off and confused or whatever and everyone will over overrate the issues that they're actually having. But Cavs, Pacers, Wizards finishing 3, 4, 5 in any kind of order yes. wouldn't surprise me. And yeah. it would not surprise me if come the end of the season, 
the Cavs lose a couple of games and finish in four. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. But what would be intriguing then is whether or not that makes any difference um, in the later rounds of the Eastern Conference when they lose home court. I, I wonder if that would matter in the slightest. Because we haven't seen that in a little while. I know, the but... Cavs on, oh, I know, on a way. Actually, hold on. Where the Cavs, the Cavs did not have home court advantage against the Celtics last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, to be fair. No, they didn't. No, and the only teams who I would fear at home in the entire NBA, in both conferences, are the Nuggets, 24-9 and nine at home, the Wolves, 25-7, and seven, the Spurs, 23-8. and eight. Obviously, the Rockets and Warriors have a great record at home. And actually, the only Eastern Conference team who looks scary at home is the Raptors at 27-5. and five. Yeah, for instance, the Celtics are better, uh, have a better away record than a home record. Exactly. The, most teams in the East are anywhere between 23 and 11, 22 and 11, and 20 and 10. They're all good they're and all great. Pretty, all pretty much around 20 and 10 at home. Yeah. So, and they're all pretty much 500 away from home. So I'm, I wouldn't be concerned with playing the Wizards if you're LeBron and the Cavs are, I wouldn't be concerned with playing the Pacers or the 76ers. Um, the interesting thing, if it finished right now, is can Giannis, if he was up against the Celtics, can he, against a well-coached defense, and still somehow manage to keep the best defense in the league now, uh, work out a way to get into, a, get into the paint and actually score? Yeah, uh, and the Celtics' away record, I think, will will hopefully hold up in the playoffs as well. They have an insane away record. Uh, I think it's the best in the NBA, bar maybe Houston and Golden State. Um, anyhow, a lot of really interesting questions to go for the East there. We've we've made a note to touch on the tank race, which I just find super depressing. Is there anything you actually want to talk about? Because these teams just fucking yeah, suck and they're playing terrible basketball. It's What the Bulls did the other night was humiliating against the Celtics. Okay, so this is what you get in the tank race, which is where you get the little bleacher report notification on your phone or device or whatever it is, and it's Chris Dunn is showing off. Chris Dunn dimes to Laurie Markkinen with a smooth behind-the-back pass. Now, most of the time, these tanking teams, that goes out of bounds for a turnover, but if you just watch these tanking teams on highlights, they actually play good basketball. If you do not watch the full game. <laughs> if you don't subject uh, yourself to. <laughs> if you don't subject yourself to 48 minutes of basketball and you subject yourself to about six minutes of highlights, you actually get some good plays in there. Um, part of it is down to shocking defense. But look, there are nine teams trying to tank. And this feels like more than ever because usually we have a few more teams in the what the fuck are you doing tier. Yeah. Uh, Purgatory tier. But look, this is where we talked about, we discussed the growing intelligence of the league and teams and GMs, and they are getting smarter. And why should any of these teams, the Knicks, Bulls, Hawks, Nets, Mavs, Magic, Kings, Suns, and obviously the Grizzlies, why should any of them try and win? Yeah, they're not incentivized to win, and they just depress me. So I want to move on and find out which two teams you think will make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a big issue. We have three teams and it's always it's going to be between those three teams for me. And a lot of it will obviously be dictated by where they finish because somewhere the Cavs, Celtics and Raptors, someone's going to knock someone else out in the second round. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't think the Cavs are obviously not going to get to second. 
Um, it's just a matter of, and I can't see to, I can't see Boston still in that one spot. Now that they're three games in the loss column behind, like that's just asking a bit too much for a, a Raptors team that's been really consistent. Yeah. Um, so I think that will be the order. It'll be Toronto, Boston, Cleveland. Um, I would like to see. Yeah, I, I, I would like to Cavs, see the Raptors beat the Cavs or face the Cavs early, and you know. Yeah, I think they will. I really think the Cavs are going to finish in fourth or fifth. Really. And, and I think we're going to see them face the Raptors in the second round. Um, whoever, look, whoever the Cavs play, I have confidence that they'll beat the Wizards or Pacers or whoever it is. Yeah. And I have con- really good confidence that the Raptors will absolutely kill the Heat. And yeah. if that's the 1-8 matchup, they might even sweep them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the... The second round possibility of the Raptors-Cavs with the Raptors at home, and obviously they played last year and lost 4-2, but it was a... It was an it was asterisk almost, on that two. It wasn't yeah, it was really that gen- close. Two, yeah, it yeah. wasn't quite a series. It was more like we're just kind of chilling out and resting and, all right, you got two games, now we'll go win it. Yes, um, yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I would put my money on... I would still put my money on the Cavs and the Celtics. Um, yeah, I also and, wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics somehow faced the Raptors in, in the second round and, well, that would be impossible, wouldn't it, if they won two? Um, at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I could see the Celtics losing to the Raptors. Like, they have been caught sleeping a few times um, and have had issues with execution down the stretch, like in those really, really clutch moments. Um, yeah. I could see, I could see the, the Raptors... If things fall their way, they could actually win the East, which would be a huge shock. I'm not expecting it, but I could see it. Yeah. Can we just touch on quickly uh, something I forgot about in the West is there's a real issue with the other teams actually challenging the Rockets and Warriors and why we're so confident that they're the only two contenders, mainly because of the four key injuries to the Wolves, Pelicans, Spurs, and OKC is Jimmy Butler, Boogie, Kawhi, and Andre Roberson. And those four injuries to those four teams is a massive reason why the Rockets and Warriors don't even look like they're going to be challenged into the West Finals. Four, you have to beat them, those two teams with defense. You're not going to outshoot, uh, outscore no. either of them. And those are four really important defensive players. And I think we finally collectively understood the importance of the world's worst free throw shooter, Andre Roberson to the Thunder. No, he's fucking important, man. Like, enough bullshit. We can tease him for his shooting all we want, but, like, they look like a different team without him. They look like a horrible defensive team without him, yeah. Like, it's 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 really, really bad. And the same kind of slide happened to the Wolves without Jimmy. Um, I would like to see... Look, I'm excited to see Denver in the playoffs purely because of what you talked about before with this kind of... Um, <clears throat> their home court factor... The Jokic factor, like they could, they could give someone a good scare, and I, I really look forward to that. Um, I think I'd prefer to see them against the Warriors than the Rockets, um, but that that could be a really sexy first round matchup. Whereas if Oklahoma stay in seventh and have to play the Warriors or the Rockets, I think I could get really fucking ugly, and we could see a lot of mellow chucking, a lot of yeah. Westbrook putting up twenty four shots on. 32% shooting, you know what I mean? Actually, that that seems like probably my most favourite possibility for a first-round playoff matchup. If we can get the Nuggets somehow into seven mm. and a face the Warriors, yeah, that would be 
just the the no fear of we are going to outscore you. Yes, you <laughs> yeah. have KD and Clay, and we are still going to try and outscore you. And we're going to have some 140 to 130 games and overtime 150 to 140 games and things like like just the even possibility of the Nuggets Warriors playing a 300 point game. It's exciting. It's just, it, it's, 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 exciting. it's exciting. And that's that would probably be my, my favorite first round matchup if it happened. Although I do love watching OKC and I don't know, it's just so exciting. I love this fucking time of year. I wish we could just fast forward to the playoffs. Um, and speaking of fast forward, let's go through, we're going to go through today our current picks for end of season awards. A couple of other shows have done it this week and I thought that's fucking fun. Me and Adam G yeah. can make predictions. We love making predictions, especially it's when true. we're wrong. Um, we're not very good at them, yeah. So, Adam G, maybe you can start with your first prediction. Tell me, who's your prediction for MVP? I think this is pretty obvious. Are we going to get a little bit of suspense going? Um, I think my top five counting down is Steph in five, LeBron, yeah, peak LeBron, 15th season, 33 years old. By the way, Steph is number one in the NBA in true shooting percentage. And the only other guard in the top 20 in that category is James Harden at 12th. Somehow this little guy managed to shoot bigger than everyone else who shoots from three feet away, despite him shooting from 30 feet away every single game. And he is the most efficient scorer in the NBA again, just quietly. Um, Definitely deserves a mention. KD, another underrated good season and... What we've just seen over the last little period with Anthony Davis, the finish that he's had at the moment, the 40-point, 10-plus rebound games, the threat on both ends of the floor, uh, getting to the line eight times a game, more than eight times a game. He's a clear second, but James Harden deserves it. Absolutely deserves it. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit of a Harden hater, but he's clearly had like – the season that looks and feels uh, most like an MVP season, the stats back it up. Um, I just got one eye on Anthony Davis. If he keeps scoring fucking 40 points a game, if he gets that team to the three seed with like a week to go in the season, which he could, which he could, and without getting injured, I don't know. I don't know. He could steal some votes. He could steal some votes. Anthony Davis has to hope that James Harden doesn't murder an NBA player on the floor like he did to West Johnson. And as long as James Harden limits the amount of huge worldwide scene, million-dollar hits and views, uh, as long as he doesn't do that, Anthony Davis has a chance. If Harden keeps doing that to other players... And RIP Wesley Johnson, he only played seven minutes in the Clippers' last game. Um, that was tough on him. If James Harden keeps doing that, he'll win because then everyone sees it, everyone sees it, it's him. And even if we think Anthony Davis deserves it, uh, the highlights will go to James Harden as it did to Westbrook last season. Yeah, and there's like narrative matters in this shit. Like it really, really counts. Um, hey, keep one thing I want to touch on in the in the MVP race, um, did you know that Russell Westbrook is like just barely not averaging a triple double this season? And? Pardon me. 
So this is what we talked about, about what would happen if Russ averaged just under a triple-double. Well, let's see. He's got 9.6 rebounds a game, and he is fine with the other two stats. Yeah, and he's 10.2 assists a game. Yes. So he's pretty much averaging a triple-double again, um, this time with 25 points. Um, okay, but this is what happens when you don't average a random statistical or arbitrary number. Yeah. You can get talked about in MVP voting. Well, it's he's clearly not he's clearly not in the race purely because I think his um look his field goal percentage is up this year from his career average. His three point percentage is like well down. Um, but I don't. But you know. know you know what else an MVP you know what else an MVP might have to do occasionally help his team it's not win. Look like an, no, but <laughs> yeah, win, but also not look like a fucking horror show on defense. The Thunder's last games, the last few games, I've been watching them just to see how they've been going without Robeson and how right. obviously Murray's been going. And teams often will put, especially the Blazers tried to do this as well. The Rockets did this amazingly to Westbrook and the Thunder. They'll put whoever Westbrook is guarding in the weak side corner. And they will always run some kind of action that gets you into the lane. And as soon as they get into the lane, Westbrook runs to the ball, leaves his man, and gives up an open three time and again. And against the, the Rockets, it was his like it was his man and his fault that they ended up getting blown out towards the end. Yeah, he hasn't Every, been great right. defensively. And to no, be honest, there's way too much. Sorry, one second. I need to get this across before I forget it because it is so important. There's now a huge burden on Paul George defensively without Robeson around, and it's it's clear they're just like a defender short or they're like one effort short in every category. Yeah. No, they are, and you're right. It's like when, you know, when the Cavs ask LeBron to guard the opponent's best player. Right. Their overall team suffers because of, his energy, and because you'd prefer to have LeBron playing free safety and able to just go wherever he wants, impact passing lanes, help off his man, and that's what Paul George was doing, which is why he was leading the league in steals. Um, but it's a big loss, but it's so for, – for Mike D'Antoni to just see something so poor about Russ still at this stage of his career, only to say, put him in the corner – Whoever Russ is guarding, put him in the corner and he will lose track of his man. That can't be happening when you've been in the league this long. No, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to change. Let's move on. Most improved player, I think we can both agree, it's comfortably, exclusively the realm of Victor Oladipo. Who is, by the way, now leading the league in steals as well. He overtook Paul George in that category. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but career highs in points, uh, and he's shooting a very respectable 47, 37, and 80% splits uh, for the season. He's still getting to the line almost six times a game. He's helping his team win. He's obviously not dominating the ball, but a fairly high proportion of that team's offense goes through him. And, hey, he's some, he's he's managed to prove that the paces were right with that trade. The Pacers were right with that trade. And I also think he wins the Key to My Heart award because 
I don't think there's an, a player I want to see succeed quite as much as him. Um, I've really, really enjoyed watching him lead this team this season, and I hope they can um, make a better noise in the playoffs. It's, they're really, really nice to watch. Yeah, and um, especially considering where we came from with the Pacers about five or six years ago where they were the team that kept you under 80 points for a game and were the most horrible team to play against and the most horrible team to watch. Yeah, they were uh, back fun. Back Roy Hibbert days, when you, that you would beat the Pacers 79 to 76. Yeah, that was quite ugly. But now they got Lance Stevenson back. They got a true yeah. superstar in Oladipo. They're fun. They're in, they're in the mix in the East. Cool. Big tick. Well done, Victor, preemptively for your award. Coach of the Year, I think we could have a bit more of an argument about this one. I'm interested to hear not who your top four or five is, but who your winner is. Dwayne Casey. Look what he's done with the Raptors, and we know that it's him. He has changed things with the Raptors, and he has used his players to the best of their ability, gotten the most out of them, and gotten the most out of them to benefit the team in the best possible way, and they're winning. And they're clearly first. No one would have said that, yes, this Raptors team will finish clearly as the number one seed in the East. It is definitely Dwayne Casey. I agree. I think that purely because they didn't have a huge overhaul of their roster, they didn't get any big acquisitions, but it was clearly, as you said, <clears throat> him. He fucking changed their play style. He cut out a bunch of the mid-range shoot, jump, shoot, jump yeah. shots. He added the three-point shots. Like That was unmistakably a coach asking his players to take a different play a different role and the players having enough respect and humility to say, yeah, we'll try this yeah. thing because what we've done so far ain't working. Um, I think that Mike D'Antoni and Brad Stevens kind of cancel each other out. So those are two guys who both had big off-season acquisitions and had to do some reshuffling of the game plan and have benefited and have done really, yeah. really well. I think that um, this might be sacrilegious and this might be a bit homerish, but I think that Brad Stevens has a better case than D'Antoni purely because... He lost four out of his five starters from last year when they finished first in the East. And he lost Gordon Hayward in opening night and he's still taken this team to um, a comfortable number two spot in the East with the potential, albeit small, of um, catching the Raptors. So for me, it would go one Casey, two Stevens, three D'Antoni. I agree, but I think it's more romantic if, as we talked about the possibility uh, earlier in the season, if Mike D'Antoni finishes second again. <laughs> just is, just the, <laughs> again, yeah. Mike D'Antoni, either his team or him or some player of it, just somehow used to, there happens to be a second place and a runner-up finish for him. And I sincerely hope they do not make it to the finals and finish second and James Harden finishes second in the MVP. And he finished the second in the coach of the year because that would be traumatic. It would also be delicious if you look at it from another perspective. But yeah, I wouldn't be look. I wouldn't be surprised or upset if any of those three guys won. Um, they all deserve it. They've all been magnificent, um, and they've all had their their, their haters. Um, in particular, Dan, Tony, and Casey. So it's good to see those guys, you know, taking the reins, it's getting shit done. Good coaching. Yes, and, and also a willingness to change, like, you know, like th- that's risk-taking and you also have to get guys to buy into this shit and that's like taking care of your locker room too. 
Yeah, this is not dealing with professional athletes is not an easy job. So what they do and then getting the best out of them and get, then getting the best out of them for such a long period of time, that is why these guys deserve to be named and talked about. Who's your rookie of the year? Is it a bit of a cop-out if I say Donovan Mitchell if the Jazz make it and oh then God. Ben Simmons don't make it? That's exactly what I was going to say. I think that... I can't, I can't not reward Donovan Mitchell for being a rookie on a playoff team who helps his team make the playoffs as the leading scorer. Yeah. And I, I can't... I feel bad for doing that, especially when... Who's his second best player? A mix between Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert? Yeah, he has so much less around him than Simmons does, and he can actually shoot. And he's been big. Like, he's, he's won them games single-handedly in a way that Simmons hasn't. Simmons been, has been a great glue guy, a great floor general. Yeah. But Mitchell has won them games. Mitchell has made that single-handedly made that team relevant this season. Yeah, and I, I, it's, not, it's got nothing to do with the future. It's got nothing to do who, with who we think is going to be a better player. In terms of for the team, there's a big case to say that Ben Simmons will be the better player in the future um, because of his way to impact all areas of the game and just being such a tall, long point guard and so mature and such a veteran as a rookie. Uh, but for what Donovan Mitchell's doing, and especially what they've been doing lately, if they can sneak into the playoffs... Uh, Hats off to him and the Jazz because that's an awesome season. Yeah, look, yeah, if it's not too unreasonable to say, I would rather have Ben Simmons on my team, like if I had to pick one yeah. of them first. But to me, Donovan Mitchell is the rookie of the year. Um, and yeah. I think that case will be solidified should they make the playoffs. Um, defensive player of the year. You've, you said it earlier before we um, hopped on. Weak, weak candidates, but um, well, yeah, there's, there's no real standout really singular solid. guy. You can make a case for any of them, but none of it is actually because that guy maybe is a good... I mean, Rudy Gobert's missed too much time. Anthony Davis has at times been hidden off the best big man on the other team when Boogie was fit and Boogie would take them. Even even in games now, they'll put him on the second best big for the, uh, the opponents as well. You talk about Clint Capella, and it's really just because he's a good defender on a great team. On a great team, there's a case to make for James Harden, who has been playing on power forward the entire season and been one of the best low post defenders on the season. Um, and then the last one, who I think is worth a shout, is Al Horford. Yeah, he. Look, he's the most important defender on the best defensive efficiency team in the in the yeah. league. Um, they suck without him on the floor defensively. Um, he's like the quietest, quietest defensive glue guy, though. I'm not sure if he's made enough noise in a way that, say, a Capella has. Al Horford's not going to go on a highlight reel for, Never. for finger-wagging someone after he blocks their shot into the third row. No, that's the difference. No, no, that's the thing. He's not a sexy pick in any sense. And this is the guy who just sets screens and blocks out and plays a beautiful one-on-one defensive possession and rotates at the right time. And those are the things that coaches notice. But like 
when you're just filling out a ballot paper, would you really say, would you really go past Clint Cabela or a Rudy Gobert or a Davis when you're like, okay, look, these guys are long, athletic, and they can block shots and they're on a good team? I wonder how people will make up their minds for a, an award I like think this. I know. I know how some people will make up their minds is they'll vote Harden for MVP and Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year. As like a commiseration prize for Davis. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. We don't world. have an offensive player. Yeah, we don't have an Offensive Player of the Year award. We only have a Defensive Player of the Year award. But that might be the way people go because they just cannot choose anyone else. And you don't, they don't want to give it to Clint Capella maybe because Harden has won the MVP. Yeah, I mean, that'll be an interesting one. As long as it's not like Draymond Green, who's just been kind of slightly oh, yeah, above mediocre. No, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's kind of like what I said with Coach of the Year. Like, any of the guys we just mentioned would be worthy winners. Um, I just hope they don't default to something lazy. Um, and do you want to touch on your your, your, your All-NBA first team? Yeah, I was thinking about the first team All-NBA uh, now, and I think it actually writes itself. I think... Your guards are Curry and Harden, although there is a debate about Chris Paul. And your forwards are LeBron and Durant. And your center in the first team All-NBA, and people can argue whether Davis has played center for much of this season, is Anthony Davis. So your top five in MVP voting, or possible top five in MVP voting, might actually be our first team All-NBA this year. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty unimpeachable starting five, like Harden, Curry, James, Durant, Davis. Uh, that I don't know how you could throw a fit. Um, you could make an argument for Giannis, but he's really fallen off in the second half of the season. Yeah. Um, like I, I think those five are pretty unimpeachable, and I, I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah, I could almost take a couple of quiet moments right now just to think about how that team would play together. Yeah, maybe a, a private moment after we finish recording, Adam G. Yes, that would be wonderful basketball if they played together. It'd be gorgeous. And, you know, we could actually see these guys play together um, in I, next I've year's seen, All-Star game. I've seen the Pelicans run sets for Anthony Davis that involve Rondo and Drew Holiday, which are unstoppable. There, there is no choice for the defen- for the defensive team other than hope, the, hope they miss. They run this one... <laughs> The Pelicans run this one curl action where they'll eventually get the ball to Rondo at the top of the floor, and it's a Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis screen off the ball. And they ran it in the previous game against the Clippers, and Drew Holiday would just get the ball into the lane free and would either throw up a lob to Anthony Davis or just finish himself. And when the Clippers decided at halftime to change up how they would stop it and cover Drew Holiday on his cut to the basket... Anthony Davis was standing free inside the three-point line or at the three-point line, and he hit three threes in a row from it. And it was beautiful to watch. It was involving Rondo, Drew Holiday, and Anthony Davis. Can you imagine if a Harden Curry Anthony Davis little set? Hmm. Anthony Davis just has the prettiest jump shot. Um, I I agree with everything you just said. Um, Adam G, before we go... um, I think we'd both like to give a shout-out um, to a little piece in the Players' Tribune this week. Uh, yes. It was Kevin Love um, opening up, being extraordinarily vulnerable in uh, a really masculine, male-dominated world, um, to open up and talk about the fact that 
He's suffered from mid-game panic attacks and anxiety attacks and has been forced to leave in the middle of games because of them. Yeah, um, for those who haven't seen it, uh, the Players' Tribune, you can go online and look at it, and it involves players from multiple sorts writing first-hand accounts of good times, bad times, uh, positives and negatives throughout being a professional sporting athlete. And Kevin Love's one is titled, Everyone is Going Through Something. And as you said, it's about specifically going back to a time on November 5th against the Hawks when he had a panic attack. Uh, and his dealings with the mental side of the game and the the mental side of the the being of an athlete and being in the spotlight and being under pressure every single time you go out there. Uh, and it's a great article, which everyone we strongly recommend you read. Yeah, it's it's really really important to talk about this stuff, and it's really important for guys like him to talk about it. They have a platform. They have admirers. Uh, and they also have a set of expectations on them. So I think it was probably a very liberating experience for him, and I know he's been humbled by the feedback, but it just adds so much um, to the community, and I'm, I'm so, so impressed that he did that. And it, it came shortly after DeMar DeRozan, uh, around the All-Star break, opened up with his own struggles about depression. Um, and yeah. it's just it's really, really wonderful to see these athletes in a position of power using their platforms um, to normalize things like this, to say, hey, like, you know, even we go through this stuff. And I'm sure there are hundreds, if not thousands, of NBA fans who saw that coverage and, and took heart. Um, it's a really, really wonderful, brave thing they've done. And I hope it encourages other to keep up, uh, others to keep up the dialogue. Yeah. And we have to say that while there's obviously a point where Kevin Love benefits from this positively because he feels like he can express himself and maybe he doesn't have to hide it anymore. And there'll be a small amount of relief or joy or happiness that he gets from actually saying what he's gone through. But the bigger positive is how many other people then believe that it's okay for them to talk about it. Um, That's right. And I think people don't realize that. And if anyone's interested in one of the best, who works with athletes in the world of this is a guy named Steve Peters. Uh, he's from the UK and he's worked with the British cycling team and, uh, football teams as well. And he talks about how that dealing with these kind of things is a skill and it's about how you manage the different parts of your brain. And it's a skill that you learn and it's something you have to keep getting better at or keep practicing just like any other skill. It is not something that you can magically have or stays with you for the rest of your life. Being able to cope and deal with adversity and work out how to manage the emotional side of your brain and your beliefs and everything, uh, especially under high stress or high pressure, is a skill that we all have to learn, or not necessarily have to learn, but is a good skill for us to learn. But it is just that. It is a skill and it can go. So these guys, these guys who have to deal with all this adversity and public spotlight and pressure, everything week after week the entire year, uh, it can be really difficult for them because they can't really find a lot of space. Um, no. And that that can be an issue for them just to, hey, I want to take a week off work and go and deal with what I want to deal with, but they don't get that chance. And they also don't get the privacy, but it's it's a really, really awesome initiative. Um, hats off to, to Love, to DeRozan, to the Players' Tribune. Um, yeah. Definitely give it a read. 
Uh, we hope to see a lot more of it. And Adam G, I also hope to see and hear a lot more of you as we count down to the playoffs. Yeah. We will uh, be a little bit more regular once the playoffs happen. Um, maybe even do our first uh, home and home pod. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit of live pod action at the same place. Uh, that would be nice. And we're also sniffing around some some guests coming in. Yeah, get a bit of yes, guest insight. Yeah, definitely some possible Western Conference guests uh, at the moment. Uh, people who enjoy the massive playoff race out there and are getting a little bit nervous. Uh, so that should be interesting. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks, Adam G. I'll speak to you soon, my man. Thank you for today. Thanks, Adam B. Bye, Adam G. Thank you.